0: Episode number 2 of 50 ways on the broom wagon. Hi Belam, hi Tristan. Hello, Hello there. We're back. Yes, we are back. We just had I don't know actually if we introduced that to to the people, but actually we usually make the recording before the recordings before having the intro and today we had an amazing and lovely chat. What do you think?
1: Yeah, oh wow. I think it was very fulfilling.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> that's a that's a great word for it. Fulfilling. It was a fulfilling conversation. Yeah, very
1: satisfying. So like, you know when you had a very nice meal and you're like, "Oh, I feel at peace and excited. And
2: You're comparing <laughs> our podcast guest to a meal. <laughs> no, we're off to a great start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's fulfilling.
0: <laughs> I, actually, I actually was thinking about a good beer, but, you know, I don't know. Actually, yeah. we can, I know that we are not going to talk about tea. So this is already... No, enough.
2: we're not going to talk about tea. That's perfect. Neither it, about coffee, actually. No, <laughs> we're, we're, the, the, the the guest of today, She she has been our superstar from the start of creating 50 Ways. Um, yeah, we say it in the recording. She's number one in the book. The first chapter that you open up, just because of the importance of her chapter, the the chapter she represents, it's a huge thing. It's uh, increasingly more important in the world we live in today. So we're thrilled, thrilled to get it out there.
0: Uh, let's start from the beginning. Instead of talking about her, let's talk about the category, right? So here, this time we're gonna we are talking about companionship, and. Anne, let's name her, Anne Johansson is actually representative of the um, solo riding and she's a woman. So solo, woman, riding and cycling around the world in the category of companionship. Let's put everything in a context.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> we thought that one of the big categories in the book had to be companionship because I think it's the first thing you face when you want to travel. It. Um, some people just are like, well, I don't I don't know, I want to do this thing, but I don't think I can do it alone. And it's the first thing you face, whether you're with a partner, you want to go with your cousin, maybe you just want to go alone, but you'd rather cycle with someone on the way so you meet up with strangers. And otherwise, there's this big presence of cycling solo which is where Anna decided to put herself. She'll explain the story later. But uh, yeah, we think it was a very big, important topic that would uh, that represents many, many people and the ways that you can actually cycle.
2: Yeah, and, and she's actually had it herself. She, uh, she had to choose between either going alone or with someone. In her case, there wasn't another someone in the beginning. And we all face this at some point when planning a journey. I'm happy to say that Belen and I we uh, cycle together and we're very happy about that. But it hasn't always been that way, and I think for me, you know, just reflecting on how I got into cycling and where I'm now, I've done cycling solo, I've done cycling with partner, I've done cycling with group, basically together with Belen and some friends in Spain. Um,
1: we'll cycled with strangers also.
2: Yeah, and. You know no favorites there uh, i think every single one has a, a unique flair to it uh ups and downs for for every single form but it's uh like you say it's the question we all face we are all faced with before starting out a journey so it's a very very important chapter that we uh, are very happy to have inside the book
0: now yeah, that's great and actually so here we are really talking about somebody riding by herself. But which one are the other components of of this section of the book?
1: Well, in this... um, you mean inside of companionship? Yeah. Well, other humans, you can also travel with your animals. So, yeah, there's a little section also (laughs) traveling with uh, dogs, with cats, and also with a bunny. Yeah. Yes. Also, of course, with with kids. We have three chapters uh, within the 50 ways. That are traveling with kids, whether it's long term, short term, or um, the age. So some are very young kids, another is an adolescent boy.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's super interesting. I can't wait actually to have the book in my uh, in my hands for for that. Just uh, let's let's say yes. Let's talk about that. And do we want actually to put around something like? where people can find the book, because here we're talking about the stories, but at the moment, I think that the book is going to be already there and everybody can grab a copy, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, by the time that this is published, you'll be able to get it in all the big places. So 50 Ways to Cycle the World, uh, your local bookshop can order it for you. You can find it online uh, on your webshop and otherwise Amazon. Um, and then you can also get signed copies, which have a very special little thing attached to it. You get them through my website, tristanboga.com. I'm sure it will be in the show notes. And uh, when you buy a signed copy in the shop there, the profits that we make, so our side of the book selling, they go to an organization uh, related to cycling, a charity related to cycling. And um, even though at this point that is still undecided, which one it will actually go to, it will in one way or another contribute to the cycling community. Um, a thing where we all come from So, uh, sorry, a place where we all come from so we found that very important and that's uh, uh, a little perk about buying the the signed copy and otherwise, yeah all the big places
0: that's great, that's great I would say that actually having a signed copy by you it's something that your um, coffee table should not miss let's put it this way it's a great satisfaction also (laughs) for your coffee table Uh, let's go back to Andan how did you find her? And now you decided that she has to have a part on your book or in your book.
1: I think we found Anne, um, I think I found Anne at the at the end of her trip when she was already... She was in, in wanna, Australia, in I Australia. think. I don't want to spoil too much. Because it was more or less when I actually started joining Tristan on the Bicycle, so... Uh, you know, Instagram is very smart, so as soon as you start looking for bicycles, just recommending you every single person that's on a bike. And back, there, back then, actually, there were not many. So Anne was one of the first ones, and I remember following the end of her journey and just scrolling down her feed and seeing all the places that she had gone. And yeah, we've always felt very captiv- captivated by her story. And yeah, for us, it was very clear since the beginning that we wanted to have a solo female in the book, and it was going to be her uh, we were just hoping she said yes, but she she did, of course. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's great. I would say that actually we can drop directly the microphone to the three of us plus Anne on the interview that happened one hour ago. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. <laughs> Talk
0: to you in a bit. And I'm saying three, two, one awesome episode number two of how did we call it Belam and uh, tristan it was the 50 ways on the
1: broom wagon, right
2: 50 ways on the broom wagon.
0: 50 ways of the broom wagon. amazing conversation with amazing people of the amazing book of 50 ways of cycling the world right almost
1: almost, almost. <laughs> 50 ways to cycle
0: the world to cycle the world i always have problems with the proposition there's a super good friend of mine on the instagram that is stories from a man and his bike and i call him stories of a man and his bike i have problems with that Apart from that, today I'm super happy <laughs> and I think we are all happy <laughs> because we have a great, I would say, number one of your book. So the first character that you will hit when opening the pages of the book and is Anne Johansson. Hi, Han. Hi, Anne. How are you doing?
3: Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> Thank you for being here. So first of all, just I would love to really all the elephant that is in the room. Is it okay? Ann Johansson. Does it work in this way? Or I have to use a different pronunciation or stuff because I usually mispronounce all the names and the Swedish ones are probably the one that I'm not handling at the best.
3: No, it sounds perfect. Ann Johansson. So it's great the way you say it
0: perfect i really really love the the way of your vowels how they are pronounced so that's why i was a bit nervous but now i know it and that's perfect um maybe i can just get a little intro on uh, yes on this conversation this is the conversation number 2 we are going to go through some of the characters of the uh, of the amazing book of tristan and Belem, and actually the story of and and here, Belem and Tristan, if you want to correct me, go ahead, is part of the section of companionship, and it's actually the story of Anne that is actually riding solo as a, w- as a woman around the world, basically, because you started from Sweden and you arrived to New Zealand, crossing all Asia. This is basically something like the framework where we are going to move today.
2: I think you summed it up right, Stefano. You, you got it there. We are so, so thrilled to get into this story. And like you said in the beginning, the fact that it's chapter one. We just told Anne already, so she's gotten a little preview of this, but uh her story for us was one of the most important ones to share just because of the the fact that as a solo woman, she decided to cycle around the world not just once, but actually twice, which we'll get into later. Um that was it's it's just a huge and amazing chapter that we really, really wanted to include and wanted to put on number one. So, yeah, like you said, uh, amazing, amazing chapter, deserves it the first place, and I can't wait to get into it.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, I would start actually from the, let's say, from the beginning. Anne, can you give us a little intro about yourself from the beginning?
3: Yes, well, where do I start? (laughs) I I would suggest from the
0: beginning, but you can start from whatever. You can also start from the coffee that you got this morning. I don't care, I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay, so, well, I live in, in Sweden, in a small village now in central Sweden, my family. And not far from here, I also grew up mm-hmm. uh, in a family of seven. So I had a very early interest of sports and being outside and explore by myself. And especially in a young age, I, I got into running, uh, an interest that also turned into my whole life almost uh, throughout my youth. So I was competing in running uh, from the age of ten to twenty-five, uh, and that was my whole life. So I didn't do so much else than and, and than training and running. And it was not until later, when I eventually started studying in the university, that I also explored outdoors and and other ways of being outside and just running. Uh, and it's also later in my twenties that I discover bicycle touring that i never heard about before so riding bikes has just been a natural part of my life but it's nothing i've been doing more than anyone else so in my mid 20s i started to study uh, at the university uh, and i got a degree as a graphic designer and then i went into taking internships and working my way up Um, and it was actually that job that kind of got me into bicycle touring. (laughs) Uh Um, I, I thought I knew what I wanted with my life. So study and get myself a job and work in a really nice design studio or advertising agency in Stockholm or somewhere in the world. And I was working really hard towards that goal and found myself sitting in an office in front of the computer for 10, 12 hours a day. Just going home, eat and sleep, and then doing it all over again five days a week, and then in the weekend trying to squeeze in some some kind of outdoors outdoor thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I just felt that being in my mid twenties that I have lost, I have lost something. Uh, I was like stuck in this place with this work. And I felt that it didn't give me much meaning. Um, And that was the first time when I started to look outside of my little bubble and like, what's else out there? What else can I do? Uh, Because I don't feel like sitting here, even though I had a nice job. I felt like I don't want to sit here now for the rest of
0: my 20s. Yeah, I can see completely the point and I can completely relate. Actually, I can tell you that for my side, um, I also at a certain point, right, thought about, "Ah, okay, staying in the same place, in the same office and dreaming about the sun outside is not probably a good place to be. But also on the other side, I didn't have, as you add, actually, the, yes, all the, your young age and your young years being really in the outdoor because as you are describing it seems like you spend really a lot of time with your running and also with your activities and also i can imagine that actually uh, living in the center of sweden is actually a really really paradise for the outdoors so i can feel the point that at a certain point you actually want to escape from uh, that screen that room and doing something different but it didn't come straight away right the the going out and exploring the world with a bike
3: no it started with uh, so I had this job at an advertising agency and uh, um, I just was fed up with it and felt like doing something completely different so I moved out from my apartment and I quit my job and I moved home to my mom for a couple of months um, and then decided to fly to New Zealand uh, the other side of the world literally yes (laughs) yes Um, And I was 27 and I felt like I'm going to do this backpacking trip that most people in their 20s do. Uh, So I had a huge backpack of my bag and I went on the buses between the hostels, um, between these tourist attractions. And I still felt like there was something missing. Like I was sitting on the bus, looking out of the window and passing all these beautiful places. Because with the bus, you just go to these tourist attractions and these famous hikes. And so I contacted this company that rented out bicycles and they had a touring bike with the panniers. Um, so I got that sent to me and I squeezed all my stuff into those panniers and I decided to cycle the South Island of New Zealand instead of hiking my way around. And that really changed everything. I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't change the gear on my bike for two days. I, it was way too heavy. Uh, Having a hard time in the mountain passes uh, because even though I've been doing a lot of sports throughout my life, I was not used to having a very heavy bicycle pushing it up a mountain pass. It was completely different. It was so much a mental thing. So I struggled in the beginning and then the longer I came, the more I started to enjoy it. And then after those two months when I had done my loop around the South Island, I was hooked. I was in love with bicycle touring. And was just in my head thinking about when can I do it next time? Where can I go? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah what did you think about the bicycle so when you add, I can completely feel you also there that you were actually doing this bikepacking trip in uh, New Zealand and you were actually trapped into a box again because it's a bus you are going only wherever, where the bus is taking you so without the possibility of exploring something new without the possibility of really going on a path that was not beaten maybe let's put it in this way and I can see actually your uh, need of doing something different be enjoying a bit more the outdoor but with your experience as a runner and i also believe also trail runner uh why did you decide to do it on the bike and not doing it yes on a trekking route or hiking route
3: um back there in new zealand i don't really remember why because i went there with the intention of just going on hikes so i had all my stuff with me for that and um i was not a long distance runner back then i came from track and field running middle distance 800 1500 meters so it's Quite fast races but this thing of going on a trail and running for days and days was very foreign for me that was not in my world yet you says bicycle touring wasn't in my world yet so I, I don't think it crossed my mind that much
0: it was natural
2: it's, it's interesting right this the the way that the bicycle had kind of as a means of travel it has to be found out some way mm-hmm. uh, like for me if, if i may add this to the conversation growing up in netherlands Everyone cycles and so did I, but I never really linked it to going further than my village or my country. That was that just wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't present in my head. Did you have a, a similar similar thing going on with when it came to to unlocking the thought of or the, the desire of traveling by bicycle?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's quite It's a bit crazy that it never crossed your mind. um, Because I first heard about it from... It was a Swedish guy who rode his bicycle from Stockholm to Thailand. And he was in a newspaper uh, when I lived in Stockholm. And then I found his uh, blog and I started following his blog. And it was mind-blowing for me that you could cycle across the world with a bicycle. Uh, So it is like you say, like... That never crossed my mind, and I don't know why. It's like you needed to see someone else do it to realize that it was possible. And without finding his blog, I don't think it ever crossed my mind while in New Zealand. Because I had it in the back of my mind that this guy was riding all across Asia. Maybe I can ride my bicycle on New Zealand.
0: I hope he's listening.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: we will let him arrive. we will let the voice uh, our voices arrive to his ears, probably we need to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but it's super interesting. So yes, two months with this bike packing at that point, so backpacking becoming bike packing adventure, and then went back to Sweden and then something like the bug of a longest tour started growing in your mind
3: yeah i had it in the back of my mind but when i came back i got stuck in work again and Mm -hmm. other things happening in my life so it took about one and a half year before i really started to listen to this inner voice that ever since new zealand told me you have to do this again and I, i had nothing to hold me back back then uh neither my work or my living situation or my social situation i felt like i could leave now it's not a problem so in the fall of 2014, I just decided that let's give it a try. Yeah. And since I'm, I'm quite an impatient person, I know that I should have just maybe gone to Europe, some countries there, maybe do some tour in Sweden. But while I got the bug, I was like, I have to go big. So <laughs> that was a mistake, but I learned from it. Um, I don't regret it. But um, for some reason, I just decided to cycle back. To New Zealand, where I found the love of bike touring from the beginning, it felt like I would like close a circle a little bit by doing that.
1: Why do you say it was a mistake to go big and far?
3: I mean, I have to learn a lot by doing, um, but it worked fine. I just felt like it would have been so much easier from the beginning if I knew what I was what I was doing, yeah. because those two months in New Zealand taught me a lot, some, but not too much um so it would have been easier if i had more experience at the same time maybe it wouldn't have been the same trip and as exciting as it actually was when you throw yourself into someone something that you have no idea what what it is
2: exactly you you can never be too prepared and it's also where the term type two fun comes from doesn't it like <laughs> you're miserable and then you look back at it and you think oh actually being miserable was just part of growing and, and the and the experience
3: Yeah, that's true. I was very miserable the first three months of my world tour. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: If there is actually a refrain that actually bugs my mind all the time that I'm starting something new or whatever, uh, I remember that there was a super good friend of mine. We were working on a project together. It was the first time that I was working in in this field, but actually it was the same with the podcast. He told me, look, there's nothing, you cannot prepare for everything. And there is only one way to be ready and to learn. And it's by failing. You're going to fail and you're going to learn and you're going to start again stronger than before. Really, learning by failing is a concept that is way more f- strong, I would say, that learning by doing or whatever it is. You can fail. The important thing is nothing massive, of course. But then for that, you can learn straight away. And you're learning way faster and way stronger. So it's perfect.
3: Yeah, that's very true.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually... You decided you wanted to go back to New Zealand, as you were telling us, because you want to make the old circle back. So starting from where your love for cycling started, actually, so finishing from where uh, the, um, yes, the love for bicycle started, then actually you decided that you wanted to go east to go to New Zealand. So I, uh, let's start from here. I kind of understand why you wanted to do it through Asia, because actually there is more land than sea so there is more cycling but there is any other uh, reason why you decided to go the whole way to asia to arrive to new zealand and not making other uh i don't know other roundabout or turns around or whatever it is
3: yeah i think i was very influenced by, uh, by others so i kind of follow others since i felt like i didn't know much about it i didn't know which countries you could cycle in uh, etc i just looked at where are people now, the ones that are out riding their bikes, where do they go? Um, And I found this almost like a little classic route, people going from Europe through Turkey, Iran, into the Stang countries, and then maybe into China, down to Southeast Asia. Um, And I found several blogs uh, of people doing exactly that route. And since I felt a bit unsure of what I was actually getting myself into, I just decided like, okay, I, if they can do it, I can also do it. So I didn't give too much thought into it. Uh, more like pick the countries where I saw others have gone before. Um, and this changed throughout my journey, the longer I came, the more uh, I picked my own route. Uh, but in the very beginning, it was uh, just following others.
2: Did, did you um, Did you have any worries about the countries that those others were crossing? seeing the the fact that you were going to be a a woman cycling alone?
3: No, I I did not. I think all my family and friends had a lot of opinion about it, (laughs) especially going down in the Middle East, Turkey, and Iran. And I think that's natural since a lot of people don't know so much about those countries here and you have your view of what you think it is. Um, But um, I was never too worried. Uh, I never give it too much thought. I just saw that others have cycled these countries like Turkey and Iran before, and then I was thinking, then I can do it too. And this thing of thinking in that I'm a woman and what can limit me and not was not in my head at all in the beginning. Uh, nice.
0: Yeah, maybe if I want, if I can stress a bit more on this side, it's more than actually your feeling or traveling by yourself as a woman, also in these countries. But I think, as you were saying, I think that actually a lot of people close by you, family, friends, whoever, also booked your trial your flights. Ah, yeah, you didn't fly, so it's fine. But I think that everybody really would have an opinion on something. Did you receive a lot of questions by people? Ah, why are you doing that? What do you feel? Are you not scared? Why, uh, why are you not doing it with somebody else? Whatever. Did you receive so many of those questions? And anyways, opinions and How did you address them?
3: Yeah, I got a lot of opinions in the beginning, uh, almost to the point that I stopped telling people that I was actually going on this trip because I didn't want to answer more questions. It's hard to answer all these questions when you haven't even set out yet because you don't know yourself. But my mom was stressing a lot that she wanted me to go with someone. Uh, She said, it's all fine as long as you have company. And I didn't have anyone to go with at that point and i also felt like i wanted to go solo Uh so it was just a lot of talking with her and convincing her that everything's gonna be fine i got some people were super happy for me and uh, others was just i could get weird comments like well you're 30 you're supposed to get married and have kids now you can't go cycling the world and
0: <laughs> damn it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm jiggling here. These kind of thing's really, I don't know, it's a bit um, disturbing for my way of... I don't know, but I can understand that actually some traditional way of thinking can lead to that. But yeah, you know, it's always judging somebody's life. It's always something that people should think a couple of times before saying, at least.
2: Well, it's it's a rule book to security also in, in life. For a lot of people, yeah. that model has worked and it gives them the security and safety in life that they need. And so it, it's logical that some would criticize you for taking such a bold step and forgetting about all those requirements or if, whatever you want to call them for for a second.
3: Yeah, I have a, a family member. He was like, he couldn't understand why don't I just t- take those four weeks in the summer and go cycling, and then I still have my job when I come back. Yeah. But I realize after t- after a while that it, some people is just we're in such a different headspace. I can't even explain to them why I'm doing it. So I'm just leaving that discussion aside. And then a lot of these people, including my family, understood what it was about while I was out, but it it took that they needed me to see me out there because I couldn't reassure them enough before going out. Uh, so yes, you have to hear what people say and try to reassure them that it's going to be fine. But then in the end, it's just my life. And
0: yeah. And actually, if I can put a couple of words here, actually at the end and talking to you right now and reading about you uh, on the book and watching what you have done and you still continue doing it in your social media, you didn't need to explain so much because you went out, you did it, you actually, we're going to talk about that. You also had some troubles in the middle that you need to start everything back again and then you're back and now you're happy and you're talking about that or whatever. You needed that. So... You don't need actually you didn't need so much to explain everything. You wanted to do it, you did it, you're happy. That's it, you know. It's something like your your action really is screaming so much more than any kind of reassuring people at the beginning. Of course, I think that the important part of your family would actually listen to you and knowing you would understand and would be reassured anyways. But for everybody else I think that actually, as I would say, your action and the facts are there. So
3: yes, like all my family members were worried and had a lot of questions, mm. but they never ever told me not to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were always supporting me, and I felt that even when they were they were worried. These rude questions and stuff came from the outside, from people that didn't really know me.
0: Uh, absolutely, it's
3: Then it's very easy to ignore that too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's super true. So yeah, you had this thing in mind. You wanted to travel. You wanted to travel with a bike. You wanted to go to New Zealand. You want to pass through Asia. Uh, We can address maybe a little, but we talked already about that. You wanted to do it by yourself. One of the reasons you said that uh, it's because you didn't find really anybody that wanted to take the same journey that you wanted. So actually this was one of the reasons I'm going to go by myself. There were other reasons there uh, that actually made you ride alone or it was just this, something like, I don't know, uh, logistics, listen, I put it in this way.
3: Yeah. I felt for me, this was a a big thing in my life. I felt like this was a one in a lifetime thing at at that time before I left. And it was very important for me to do it my own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is partly the reasons why, uh, number one, I didn't go with anyone. And number two, I didn't seek any sponsors of any kind. Okay. Because I wanted to do it completely on my terms, and I didn't want to compromise. And if you go with someone, you will have to compromise at some point in the end. And it would be natural maybe if I would have been uh, in a relationship or having a friend, very close friend that had the same dream as me. But since I didn't have that, it was very easy to just I wanna go alone. And I also felt that throughout the trip that I I really liked riding solo Mm -hmm. and not having to compromise. I I ride very (laughs) different from day to day. One day I, I might ride three hours and then I just wanna eat ice cream for three hours and lay in the sun. Yeah, and the second day I want to push myself and I go like crazy for ten hours, and that's just how I am. Um, and when you're alone, it's very easy to, you know, you just ride after your mood. And when I'm with someone, I always have to limit myself or push myself where I don't want to.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And actually, as you were saying, it's your lifetime experience, so. It makes sense, actually, to do it in, at your own terms. Uh, maybe something that's really is a technical thing that pops up into my mind completely randomly. You are ready. You are starting. What's your setup? I mean, bicycles, camping, and all the gears that you brought with you. And, uh, yes, which one is your setup? And... How did you decide for that without having so much experience?
3: Well, this was one of the hardest things for me. To just go out there and, and mentally decide to, to you know, go out outside of your door and you start pedaling was not hard for me. But the logistic part was really hard for me. Uh, it was a lot of research because I knew nothing about bicycles or bicycle touring. So... I got what I saw others were using. You know, these panels I can see some people are using. They're probably good. And the bicycle too. I asked other tourists that I knew about in Sweden. Mm-hmm. What bicycle do you use? Is it good? So a lot of research in the beginning. Um, and I packed way too much stuff. Probably twice as much as I actually needed. Um, and there was also a long learning process throughout those next coming two years. What to bring and not what to what not to bring um it's really a tricky one and that was really learning by mistakes from the beginning because i i went with one setup and i think two years later the only thing that i kept throughout those two years was my computer and my bicycle everything else was replaced at one point or another okay Um,
0: wow wow you bring you brought your computer with you uh, just because you wanted to uh, document what you were doing or just because you want to keep contacts with communications and family or for other reasons?
3: No, I had I think it only had to do with um, I wanted to take photos and videos and I wanted to be able to store them and edit them and work on them along the way. So yeah, it was a very natural thing to to bring that one. I never thought twice about it.
2: I love that because it's it's not a it's not a given for a lot of people traveling by bike even though all those journeys are super unique and it's it's one of the challenges that we had creating 50 ways uh, trying to find good stories where also those people living those stories had taken good pictures because it is a a coffee table book at the end of the day and we we really we were very very happy that you took this uh, decision make this decision um, because well, we might not have been able to share the the story in the book in the first place, but also the visuals of your work there, uh, the work you put into taking those photos, went a long way and will still go a long way in you being able to show what you did to not only your family, but also uh, an online presence of people all around the world who see you as a role model and, and want to go after your footsteps
3: thank you so much <laughs> it was when i left i i never gave it too much thought uh what it would become uh the documentation of the trip it was just something you know you, you took pictures for yourself and then you realize uh, afterwards how much value it actually have given uh just that thing of instagram that you can share your pictures and you can share inspiration with others uh, it's been a wonderful thing to
2: and, and you did it consistently, too. That's another thing. You didn't just start with it and decided that it was too much work and stopped. You did it consistently throughout the whole journey.
3: Yes, I, I did stop my, my blog uh, two-thirds into the trip because yeah. it was too much pressure into it and I felt like I, I didn't have the time to maintain it. Uh, so I stopped writing a blog very abrupt. Um Which I don't regret because also it can only take so much time from your journey with the documentation, I think. Uh, And I felt at that point that it took too much time for me, Uh, but just taking pictures and videos, I, I I kept on doing, and the longer into the trip I came, the more fun I found in that, like it was more enjoyable to document it because I didn't take that much photos in the beginning.
0: I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really super great. Let's jump back on your starting point. So uh, you have your bicycle set up. Thanks, actually, to all the information that you could get all around. You are ready to go. You go. And just before, uh, you mentioned that the first three months were probably... uh, we are used to get used to traveling by bike in this distance? Also understanding which one is your need, uh, what you have to do, and uh, how to solve some problems, how to figure it out, which one is your rhythm and everything. Can you describe for us actually exactly this? I don't want to say the struggles, but for sure, maybe the discomfort or the learning learning process that you had to go through in these first three months.
3: Yes. So I think that one of the biggest things for me was actually that... I was quite afraid of of camping, of sleeping alone in my tent. I've been afraid of the dark since I was little. And that was something I, I tried not to think about when I was planning the trip. But then when you start, you're in it and you have to face it. So I would say those first two months when I rode from Sweden down to the coast in Croatia, Mm-hmm uh i was really struggling because it's very scary to to stay in my tent and it was a lot of animals sneaking up at me at night that i thought what other things um that scared the heck out of me yes i can (laughs) feel it so that was one thing and then everything from uh, what you eat uh, where how do you plan where to buy your food that you have how much water do you carry uh the crossings of borders, uh, people approaching you when you don't have a common language. It was just everything together. And I was struggling a lot. I, I liked it, but at the same time, I was having a real hard time. And I had a lot of times just sitting in the ditch and crying and wonder, what am I doing here? Um, but I had decided that I'm going to keep on going no matter how it feels. Because I knew it was going to be a big hurdle in the beginning when you don't know what it's about. So no, it was not a freedom feeling Is heading out there and cycling through Europe. It was an everyday struggle. And I think it was not until I came down to the Balkans, uh, maybe even not until I came to Turkey when I started to relax and enjoy. And I think that had a lot to do with me believing in myself, me trusting myself and my gut feeling. Because I did not trust my gut feeling, the first section of the trip through Europe.
0: And you think actually that this, um, let's say, confidence I would say, but actually believing in your in yourself came out of these two months of experience, or, and so it was already something that you had already and you just needed to recover back or just there was something like a specific episode that turned the, turned the wheel around?
3: No, I think it was just a, a matter of, of getting used to it and mm. have enough time out there because I have a big belief in myself before I left and I was like, I knew I could do it. Um, I just had to get used to everything that comes with bike touring and also a lot with the log- logistic and, and so on. So slowly, slowly it got better. Um, I also had a little, a meet, I I came into Albania and, um, this could be anywhere. Uh, the, the bad guys are spread out all over the world, but it happens to be my first night in Albania and Albania had a little bit of a reputation, at least from where I come from. And it was a guy finding my tent that I thought I had hidden in the bushes, uh, late in the evening. Mm -hmm. and i had a bad feeling about this this whole spot from the beginning i came there but i was ignoring that feeling and he came there and he was just a local wanted to know who are you what are you doing here and we had actually a good chat and got to know each other and then after an hour or so he left to go back to his family Mm -hmm. and once again i had this screaming feeling inside of myself you have to pack up your stuff and leave and once again, I ignored that feeling. And as I thought, and but didn't hope for, he came back later that evening and then the atmosphere was completely changed and he did not have any good intentions left. Okay. <laughs> um, it was a very scary situation, but nothing happened in the end. In the end, he left. And I took my my sleeping bag and ran away in the forest and slept in a ditch until the sun went up and I could go back to my tent. And that experience changed a lot because I really realized that the only thing that will guide me through this journey is my gut feeling and how it feels inside. So if my gut is saying, this is not a good person or this is not a good place, I have to keep on moving. Uh, And after that, that night that changed a lot and i i think that was a turning point that i i started to trust myself much more
0: yeah 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 uh, it's yes i can completely understand and actually wow uh, it has been so sup- must have been super scary and i can completely understand then your reaction and going and sleeping somewhere else waiting for actually for the sun to come up again because yeah i can completely understand Reading through um, the interview, actually, about the book uh, itself, I actually see that it happens not so many times that you had such an uncomfortable situation, if we can call it in this way. It's a bit more than uncomfortable. Uh, but it seems like, actually, the couple of times that this happened, you had some uh, uh, ideas and technique how to let people go away with bad intention from you. And can you maybe explaining? us a bit more something like how did you escape this kind of dangerous situation
3: yeah yeah so one of the most common questions i get when when people learn about my trip is like wasn't this scary mm-hmm. or was the worst thing happening they go straight into the the lowlands <laughs> when i hear the shit that happened and not the highlights uh, which is interesting i guess that's just how we are human beings um and if i look at my trip 25 months on the road I had very few bad things happening uh uh, I was not attacked I was not robbed um I was everything went fine I was not in, in a car accident and so on um but of course there are small things uh that you have to face along the way and this meeting with a guy in Albania just reminded me that, um, yes, there will be people that look at me in the wrong way, uh, mostly because I'm a woman and I'm going solo. Mm-hmm. And this will happen again. I just have to learn how to deal with it. Um, and it, it started in Turkey and continuing to Iran. Uh, it's ironic. I think I say that in the book because these two countries are two of my my favorite countries of the whole trip because of the hospitality of the people, the kindness of the people, and how they opened their arms for me. Um, at the same time, it came with a lot of... Uh, it came with a lot of meeting with with, with people that um, saw me as uh, an object, like someone that can't defend herself, that it's weak and alone on her bicycle. Um, and in, in Turkey, it started with, you know, guys stopping with their car along the way, wanting to chat with me, wanting to interact. And it didn't take me long until I started to see this pattern. You can see really fast s- by having a look in their eye, like, do you have good intentions or do you have bad intentions? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's the later, you just ignore and keep on, on riding your bike. So that was not too hard. When I came to Iran, it became more physical. Um, people trying to push me off my bike, grabbing my ass, passing with, the, with the a motorbike, mm-hmm. uh, pulling in my clothes. Um, so that was scary when it became physical. And and then I also changed my my reaction. So instead of ignoring it, I became very angry. That was just natural thing for me. If these things happens to me, I get very, very angry. Um, and I was just facing them with a lot of anger and and hate and and screaming at them and and basically fighting back. And they, I guess, they are not used to a woman uh, hire their voice like that to them, uh, a stranger. So, ninety nine percent of the time, that actually worked. Uh, is becoming aggressive.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yes, I can see the point actually you were saying probably these people they are not used to have people that react and actually women that react in this way. So, yes, they are getting scared or just they are not used and they understand actually how bad they are and how yes it's a uh bad day acted. So probably yes, put the play put the things in the right places and this is a good a good thing actually to defend yourself. But going back to the uh happy note. so you were saying you started you actually took a bit of time to get used to the traveling and everything then you pass through two of the countries that you like the most apart uh, the bad meeting let's say that uh, you were mentioning before turkey and iran you mentioned this one also in the book why in your opinion you said already uh, the people that were super welcoming in the place itself but there is something really vividly that you remember of these two countries that actually caught your heart and actually let you still think that they were good place to be and nice place to travel through
3: yes i think i'm i come from sweden and here it's uh, people living in their own bubble and you take care of yourself and uh, if you ask for help you will get it but otherwise people mind their own business mm-hmm. uh, so it was almost a shock for me coming to turkey and having people approach me the way they did they would just come here and drag me into their home, not drag me, but invite me into their home and sharing their meals with me and offering me to stay on the sofa. And I felt like everything is shared there. So the meal you have on your table, you will share with everyone around you, even if there's a stranger passing on a bicycle. And this was a very new thing for me. And um, that people were so open, and they were not scared of me. They were not thinking, uh, who is this? What, what, can, what bad can she do? They more just wanted to help me. Um, and this continued, I could say, through Turkey in Iran, is this incredible hospitality of the people. Um, it could be anything from offering me to stay in the home and share a meal with them, to... You're stopping and asking, do you have enough water? Do you have enough food? Uh, Do you need help with something? Uh, Do you need help with navigation and so on? So I felt really cared for. I felt that if I will fall, there will always be someone standing there and catching me. Uh, Almost like that.
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's super great. And I've been in Turkey and I felt absolutely the same thing. I was also traveling, especially in the second part of my trip, I was traveling with myself and I felt exactly the same. I will never forget actually one guy, He's a director, a theater director in Istanbul that found me out. I was at the station or whatever, he invited me to his place uh, and uh, saying, OK, yeah, you can come over, sleep here. I have an Airbnb. It's not a problem, blah, blah, blah. And we ended up ch- chitty chatting for three days in a row. And he didn't let me pay just for you to tell. They are just amazing people. And everybody who actually have been in uh, in Iran is continue telling me the same thing. And Iran is another place where I would love to go, maybe with a bike. Uh, let's go fast forward then. At a certain point by in your first trip, I would say, we're focusing a lot on that, but actually it's something like the introduction uh, to your bikepacking life, so um, at a certain point you were in, uh, um, let me remember, you were in the Pamir Highway, right? Or somebody, somewhere there, and actually an injured arrive, and you have actually to put everything on hold, heal, recover, and then let's say, start again. But let's say on the situation where... What happened there? What happened that actually you had to put your trip on hold and then start everything back?
3: Yes, so I had reached uh, Tajikistan and was going to cycle the Pamir Highway. But uh, not all the way. Actually, I had company at that time uh, by a Finnish cyclist uh, named Taneli. And we decided to take a little uh, detour up in the mountains. So... It was basically not even a trail there Um, up to a lake at 4,600 meters, I think something like that. And then we were gonna head back down to uh, the Pamir Highway again. And it was midday and I was just, I fell with my bike. Um, It was just a rock or something and my handlebar was twisting and then I fell on the side So it's nothing dramatic at all. I've fallen many times on my bicycle (laughs) Uh, and maybe you get some scratches, but that's it. But this time I somehow, I, my foot got caught in the pedal and it twisted and I felt right away when I felt that this is not good. Uh, This is something else. So I couldn't stand on my foot and being high up in the mountains, fully loaded bicycles, not being able to stand on my foot. We knew that okay, this is not good. Um, in the end, I managed to get down the mountain. Finally, uh, went away for. It took him fifteen hours to find some locals with a four wheel driver that could reach us up on the mountain and take me down again and and my bike and all my stuff. And since it was late fall in in. The Pamirs, the winter was just around the corner and I knew if I if I stay here, I will have to wait until springtime before I can continue. Uh, I didn't have the gear or the stuff to cycle in the winter, in the Pamir, even though it's possible. Okay. So I decided to go back home and spend those months recovering uh, from my foot injury with my family and my friends. and gain some energy from there. I was home maybe for four months, um, and then my foot was okay, I could cycle again. And the original idea was to just fly back to Tajikistan and continue on that path I was on. And it was then I felt very stupid to jump on a plane when you're gonna go riding your bike if you don't have to, because you have this big landmass of Europe and Asia. So instead, I I started over from my mom's place in in Sweden. And I still wanted to cycle to New Zealand. Um, But I wanted to go another route because now I have gone that route through Europe and Turkey and Iran. I didn't see a reason to go the same way again when there's so many countries to explore. And that time I went the north way instead. So through Sweden, Finland, Russia kazakhstan mongolia and then down wow so it was just like i saw it as a big opportunity to just see more countries and more places that actually i haven't seen too many cyclists doing
2: yeah it's a very uncommon route actually absolutely did it did it come from what you were previously mentioning the, the 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 routes of other cyclists did did someone else dip you on that particular route? Or was it literally just you drawing across the map saying, I'm I'm just going to go here and I'll see what happens?
3: Yeah, no, it was not influenced by anyone else. Uh, I was so full of (laughs) confidence when I came back Mm -hmm. that I can draw my own route, I can go wherever I want to. Um, So I just took the map and, and, and draw a line myself um, Russia for me was very thrilling. Uh, it's a country that I knew nothing about but I really was eager to explore the same with Kazakhstan and Mongolia. So I I didn't I didn't draw a detailed route from the beginning. I knew I wanted to go through Russia, Kazakhstan but I didn't know exactly what road to take. I took that along the way uh, so it was very much not that planned. And I didn't find anyone that had done this route before. Um, I did get contact with a few Russian cyclists, though, that reached out to me uh, wanting to help me. So I got some uh, some tips from them, roads to stay away from and roads that are better when it comes to riding a bike.
0: Yeah, it's super, super interesting. And it's super interesting, actually, also uh, your approach to that. Because, I don't know, I heard about so many people that just their idea was okay to explore, but actually also to end up the challenge. So cycle around the world, arrive to New Zealand in your case. So um, would have been seen like... Let's put it in this way. Maybe it's a bit too harsh, but it's something like uh, it's going to be um, I'm going to lose in time if I'm going to start all over the game, all over again. I just want to arrive to New Zealand. This is my goal for you it was different. Actually, for you it was the other way around. It doesn't make sense. Not exploring something new just to be fast. Just let's start everything again. Let's start the adventure again. And this is absolutely the spirit that I love about your adventure, being out there for exploring parts of the world as much as parts of yourself
3: yes i didn't have anything to hold me back either i didn't have any time frame where i had to be home because as i said i i I didn't have an apartment i didn't have a job i didn't have anything to hold me back so i actually wanted to spend as much time as possible out there the only limitation i had was money Mm -hmm. so when i left the second time from sweden i almost knew i didn't have enough to make it in new zealand but i was just thinking i'll, I'll fix it along the way somehow
0: <laughs> did you fix it along the way or you just try to save as much as you could in terms of food or accommodations and stuff
3: yeah i actually applied for a working visa in australia mm-hmm. uh, you can apply for that until you turn 31 so i i, I got it approved the day before i turned 31 wow so i I had that one. Okay. But then, then you have 12 months to enter the country for it to not expire. So I knew I have one year to reach Australia. And when I was in Thailand, Bangkok, uh, that time was, was gone. So I had to take a decision there. Either I, I fly from Bangkok to Australia and I will get my working visa and I can work. Or I continue down to Singapore as the original plan and the visa will expire and i don't know why but i just felt like i don't want to skip out (laughs) this route from bangkok to singapore i want to ride it so in the end i never got my work working visa for australia and i actually had to borrow money from my family that i worked in and paid back when i came back from my trip
0: okay okay i got it but you have been, so you want? so let's put it in this way actually uh, Tristan and Belen wrote me in our notes here that actually at a certain point you arrived as well in Australia and it was there that you met your partner right Guillaume yes that's true <laughs> tell us more about that actually I got the hint as I was saying that probably is a cool story if you want to tell us
1: yeah we <laughs> yeah, really yeah, like sure, this sure. part of the story because there's these <laughs> things within the cycling community where people are like oh like, I will never find anyone. How do I find someone that likes to cycle or who is into the outdoors? And we always say, say just go outside. And eventually you'll meet people that are into the same thing because they're outside. They're not in your same village or doing things like that. So that's why we like Ant's story.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and we all like love. I like love personally. So. Yes. <laughs> you
3: know, I was the opposite. Um, coming to New Zealand, I already had been cycling with uh, someone for quite a long time. I just wanted to be alone. (laughs) I absolutely didn't want to meet anyone. (laughs) Okay. Um, So in in Australia, I I crossed the country from west to east, from Perth to Brisbane. uh, And the main goal was just spending as much time as possible in the outback, in the center of the country. Um, I heard so much about it and was just super eager to explore it. And in the end, it's also one of my favorite parts of the whole trip is the outback. And halfway through the country, in Alice Springs, uh, I happened to meet Guilherme. Um, he was in Australia on a working visa, traveling with his car and bicycle in the in the back. He was a mountain, bike, uh, mountain biking rider. And I was coming with my bicycle and we just happened to meet. And we spent one day together. Um, it was him and his friend and me. And then we parted ways and... I didn't think so much more about it. Um, as I said, I was really into my trip and I I was not into finding anyone. And I continue east and there's a part there through the Plenty Highway in the outback uh, that is very remote. So I I had 12 days without any signal on my phone. So no connection with the outer world. And... Um, Throughout those two weeks, almost something grew in me, and I knew that okay, I cannot really ignore this. Uh, this guy had something that it's it's really hard to ignore. It was just growing on me. Um, so when I got my signal back there and I called him, he said the exact same thing. So no. we just oh. met, you know, two travelers spending a day together, having fun, nothing more. And then two weeks of absence. Uh, It almost felt like I was in love.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's super nice. Really super nice. I love to hear about these stories.
3: And he he had his trip in Australia. He was traveling around, riding his bike, uh, taking different jobs. And I had my journey to complete. Uh, Mm -hmm. I arrived to Brisbane. I flew to New Zealand and I cycled the North Island. And then I finished in Wellington, uh, the capital of New Zealand. And... And then he was standing there and waiting for me at the finish line. The only person who was standing there waiting for me. And that was the second time we met. And almost from that second, we were a couple and still is.
0: Great. That's super, super nice.
3: And and
2: recently, there, there was an addition to the couple as well.
3: Yeah, yeah. Now we are a family of three. <laughs>
0: wow.
2: <laughs> May I just ask, Did was the name inspired then by the place that you met? Probably it was, no?
3: very much so Uh, (laughs) so our our daughter is named Alice and um it was Guillermo said maybe we should name her Alice and Alice is one of the most common names in Portugal uh, in Sweden I was like uh, I don't know but then he in in Portuguese is it's pronounced Alice uh, and I really like that so yes she was named after that little town in central Australia
0: (laughs) that's great that's super great well, back for uh, back then to daily life. Now you're back in Sweden. And uh, yes, you are together with Guillaume. You are, uh, I will never pronounce it correctly. Sorry. We are together with your partner. Let's put it this way. Sorry, Guillaume. I really cannot pronounce French. And uh, you have a daughter. And my question here is, after these two year and a half, a bit more of your traveling and uh, of yeah, your other chapter, new chapter of your life, how do you feel? Because actually there is something that hit me while reading the, the book. And actually there was a sentence that in the intro that says something like, my, um, at the beginning, before my trip, my creativity was soon replaced by anxiety. How is it doing right now? How's your creativity doing right now after living this amazing adventure?
3: It's doing great. <laughs> I think this, this whole trip just taught me that you really have to stop and listen to yourself what do you want in life? What is making you happy? What is not making you happy? So before my trip, I was not listening that much to myself. I was just, you know, doing what I thought was right and what I thought would make me happy and successful. And coming back, um, I'm very much more chill and laid back and like taking life as it comes. And and in reassuring myself that everything will be fine in the end, as long as I, I'm following what I want to do in my dreams. So today I'm not sitting in, a, in, in an office in Stockholm. I, I'm living here in, in a house in the countryside, very close to nature and close to the things that we like to do, to be out in nature, go running, go riding bikes. And just taking it step by step, trying to find a lifestyle that will work and that will make me happy so yeah i thank that to to the bike trip
0: that's super great um i just want actually to ask you another thing we uh, talked about that in uh, uh in the minutes before the recordings and so of records but i you also told us that you are working on something that is a book something like a story of your trip uh can we know, know more about that? Well, how is the writing doing? At, where are you at at the moment?
3: Yeah. So while I was out writing, I'll, the thought was never to create any kind of book. I was keeping my journal every day. Uh, I was taking my photos, but I never thought I was going to write a book about it because this was just my trip and my experience that I needed to do. And then coming back from the trip, um, my social media had grown I realized that it's a lot of people reaching out to me with questions just as I did before I left on my trip. So it was really nice to be able to share tips and tricks and inspire others just that I have been inspired in the beginning. And I started to feel like I think I have a lot of stories that could inspire others and that I want to share for many, many reasons. And Life happens, I started to work, and we bought a house, and we got a daughter, and it's not until now, actually, um, three years after coming home from the trip, that I, I decided to sit down and write down my story from the beginning to the end, and trying to create a book that really will give something to the reader. So I'm in the middle of that process now, uh, writing, and will be this year out. And hopefully it will be out next year, 2022, if everything goes as planned.
0: Okay, cool. Keep us posted. Please, Anne, keep us posted because we... I talk about myself. Let's put it in this way. I talk about myself because I would really love to have this book in my hands and actually know a bit more from your experience and reading everything that you can have there in order to share with us. All the feelings that you got there, all the experiences, great experience that you got there and which one was the journey, your inner journey, into that. So keep us posted. I would love to I can't wait to see it. Let's put it in this way.
3: Okay, thank you. I will keep you yeah. posted. To,
2: just to uh, add a question to to this book subject. Yeah. Uh can you describe to us a little bit what the what the fundamentals of the of the book are? Is it going to be only text or are you going to use the uh, the images? Is it going to be a visual inspiration?
3: Yes, it will be a visual inspiration. It will be uh, like a coffee table books, I would say half of it, half of it would be, will be with photos and half of it with text and hopefully also some good maps in the map of my journey. Um, so it's very much a combination because I really believe that I have a lot of photos that, that cannot be described in text and vice versa. And sometimes they need to go together. So for me, the photos in this book is just as important as the text itself
1: coffee table book so we're going to have to be drinking a lot of coffee in the future yeah <laughs> yeah that's not the problem
3: that's not the
0: problem <laughs> but is it going to be in english or you're going to you are writing it straight away in, uh, wait on the other side are you writing it in swedish or is going to be straight away in english
3: yes i'm writing it in swedish uh, i decided that okay. because i know i can only communicate tell my story in the right way in my language mm-hmm. and also the publisher will be a swedish one but hopefully uh, it will be translated into English in the future. Nothing I know yet, but I will really work for that.
2: Well, I think just to, to back you up on that, there is probably not a single person who's written a book like that and, and uh, designed a book like that just yet. So by the time it comes out, if any publishers are listening, I'm sure they'll pick up on this because it's a, it's a subject on its own. It's a very, very unique journey totally deserves his own book and uh, like I said I don't think there's anything like it out there
3: Oh thank you yeah I, I actually the plan right now is also that I'm gonna do the layout for the book since I am a graphic designer from nice. the beginning hey we
2: did the <laughs> same for 50 ways Belen is really good <laughs> with the graphic design and I'm telling you it speeds up the process so much yeah. makes everything so efficient yeah and
1: you kind of want to put the ribbon to your own little baby like have almost as much control as you can so it's super nice. Yes. I'm happy that you can design
3: it. Yeah, I have a very clear head in uh, view in my head, like how it will work the best. Uh, and it's super fun to be able to be part of that to do the graphic design, even though I put a lot of pressure on myself. You want it to be perfect, um, yeah. but I really like the idea of uh, both of taking the photos, writing the text, doing the layout for the book, and the whole feeling of it.
0: Well, after this amazing conversation here, I have actually something in mind. We should start, all of us. I think the four of us would be perfect. We can actually add on somebody else. A new podcast series, and the name of it is The Publishers Whispers, where we just suggest to people something like, publisher, come over, listen to that, and then we're going to pitch books that has to be published. What do you think?
3: (laughs) That sounds good.
0: (laughs) Yes, it came into my mind, just the title. So after the title, I think it's really good, just because... Popped up in my mind right now. I think that we have to do it really.
1: Nice. It's like a, a website where you, instead of like matching people for love, you match uh, stories with publishers.
0: Yeah.
1: It's lovely. Yes,
0: yes. In an audio form. <laughs> yeah. Well, because then we are going to do, instead of an elevator pitch, we are going to do something like an intercontinental flight pitch because it's going to be a talk of seven hours about <laughs> pitching the book.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, we copyrighted it on the record. So <laughs> let's do it. We're, we're, we're going <laughs> with this. We're doing it.
0: <laughs> Great, people. Uh, thanks a lot, Anne. Thanks a lot. I have Anne, nothing else to add. I think that actually we went through mostly everything that I wanted to talk. Do you have any other any anything else that you want to add, Anne or Belen or Tristan? Well, it
1: would be nice for people to know where they can find uh, Anne's uh, further story and social media if she wants to share it. Although I know it will be in the notes of the podcast, but just in case,
0: it's perfect.
3: Yeah, you can find me on my Instagram, uh, which is called Myrava. Uh, M-A-I-R-A-W-A, uh, and that's mostly the platform I, I use now, uh, almost the only one, um, yeah. Nice. And nice other than sure. that, I just want to say thank you, uh, really looking forward to to see this book, Uh Thank you for having me on this podcast.
0: It was great, great, great pleasure, really. And thank you for sharing your story with us and with the super amazing positive vibes that are spread around after this talk. I think that now... Ah, I have to do my German class. Otherwise, I would have gone with a bicycle, with no uh, something, without knowing where to go, without goal, just jumping on the bike and see whatever. Yes. But yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow is gonna be the day. Thanks a lot, really, for the positive vibes, and for the uh, the amazing inspiration that you threw on us today with your amazing talking.
3: Thanks, Anne. Thank you. Bye, bye. 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 Bye
0: such an amazing chat. Relaxed, enjoyable, inspiring. Thanks a lot, Tan, for that. And now I can tell you that I can't wait to have your book in my hands because it's so inspiring. And I think that I could enjoy it also just by having it in Swedish, even if my Swedish is not the best. But talking about books, talking about books. Now, the book of Tristan and e 50 Ways to Cycle the Word, is live everywhere. You can find it on all the major... Uh, shelves online shelves online if you go to the tristan website to tristan website also there you can find some copies but now i know that are uh, they are all around europe cycling so probably i really don't know when they open small windows to get the book but anyways go to the social media find them and give them support anyways and if you can buy the book All the names, all the specifics down in the description below. And we will continue. We will continue with this super amazing chat. So remember that if you like this episode or the one before with Nathan, you can go on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever, Spreaker, wherever you listen to your stories. Let's put it in this way. Yes, stories. And share. Or subscribe or rate this podcast. It's super important for all of us. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks a lot for sharing. If you want to support my production to continue be independent, down there you will find also the coffee um, link where you can support me by buying me a coffee. And that's it. And also Yeah, I would say nothing else. I need to say thanks, though, to Komoot for supporting me for this great adventure this year. And, yeah, for now, nothing else. Remember, if you want to support the Sea Watch, also down below, you will find the Sea Watch link. And you can drop some coins. Otherwise, all the time, the time naming, uh, everything related to COVID, you know that everything is going to fill my COVID jar at the end of the season. I'm going to give this money directly to the Sea Watch. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week.